Court, David Rubio. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you this morning. My name is David Rubio. Uh, I, looking around the room, I, I, just, I, have just, I just got so excited thinking about who all is in this room. I'm just so thankful to be with you. I, I'm, I'm usually in exactly the opposite end of this uh, the, the church on Sunday mornings teaching. And, and I mean that physically as well as sort of uh, metaphorically. Um, obviously, I, I speak with, you know, I teach young people every week. I've always taught young people. I'll say a little more about that, obviously, because a lot, a lot of my life has been spent in youth ministry with young people. And a lot of, you know, people will say, how do you stay so young? And I know what they mean. Uh, it is, why are you so immature still? <laughs> and, and I say, I'm a youth minister. I, I have been, my entire adult life, all I've ever really done is work with young people. And so I blame them. <laughs> I was so mature as an adolescent. <laughs> you wouldn't have believed it, but youth ministry changed. Uh, I do want to say that I, uh, I dream about doing this kind of thing with you someday. Um, my path doesn't often cross with this ministry, but it does some. And, and over the years, whether, whether this ministry has been called Aging in Place or Granddaughters or Later Day Saints, uh, I love all of your names. I have had occasion to bump up against your ministry, and I've been so blessed each time I have an opportunity to be with you, whether it's you know facilitating... Uh, teens who serve at your, your luncheons and gatherings or driving a bus for get-togethers that might occur. And I've always thought, how amazing would it be for this church and, 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 and perhaps the world if we could do an aging-in-place lip-dub? <laughs> That's my dream. So I'm going to show you this Christmas lip-dub from a year ago. This is what the youth group did, and some of you are going to watch this and think, of course he gets paid to do this. That's, that's what. So watch this, and then imagine yourselves in something kind of similar. So a lip dub video is a single shot music video where, where people are lip syncing a song, and, and, but it's all one take, so there's no edit. You simply record it on a camera, and then drop it in at, with a song, and you're done. So here it is. You ready? Here we go. These are, these are the high school students at OCYG one year ago. And we do this every year. Can't you see yourselves in this video? Okay, just keep watching.
are always a little better than the guys at the lip syncing, you might notice. Okay, I wish I could show you the whole thing. I don't have time to do that, but uh, that's an example of something that we do. So raise your hand if you think, oh, I could easily do that. And it's all ladies. I didn't see a single guy's hand in the air. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I see my, my wife and my son coming in. Y'all find a... And there are, chair, there are chairs. Benson, if you want to come grab a couple of chairs and bring them to the back, you can. <laughs> um, so this, some of you might remember. Hi. This is Otter Creek Church. The building. This. This is the Otter Creek staff. Yep. There they are. <laughs> and, and if you, you become a member, place membership today. This is where you can pick up your tapes. <laughs> so when I moved here, I moved here in January. Uh, my, my first Sunday was January 26th. Of 2003, so it will be 19 years in January. Um, and when I moved here in January of 2003, I remember thinking a couple of you know, it was like, how can so many people fit in one hallway at one time? I, I think there were three services, and in between either the first and second or second and third, the crowd in that hallway was so big. And I remember seeing the box with the tapes that said tape pickup. And I just thought, what is this? And this was where if you wanted a sermon, they would record the sermon on tape and drop it off. And you could, you know, pay a, a quarter or a dollar. I don't know what it was. Two dollars for a sermon tape? Oh, man. And I just, so, so in February, I kid you not, I had been at this church for less than a month. When Corky French, who had been kind of a community life minister, connecting minister, I don't know what his title was, but Corky resigned, and we had a meeting, everybody gathered, you could see the staff obviously was smaller then, we had a meeting, Steve will remember this meeting well, it was in Brandon Scott Thomas's office, I think, if I recall correctly, and, uh, and, and someone said, Corky, Corky has re resigned, and so... Here are his duties. Here are the things Corky did. We're not going to replace him, which means everybody here gets to take one of these responsibilities and add it to your, to -do, add it to your, to your job description. <laughs> and I, I remember thinking, none of, the, none of these are youth ministers. I haven't been trained in any of these things. I'm going to be terrible at them. But, but one of them was an event. So Many of them were like ongoing tasks, and, and probably a lot of people in here know Getting ongoing, ongoing tasks done is not my strength. But a one-time shot I can do. So, and one of them was the new and prospective members' luncheon. 
And uh, the, the glistens in here will remember well that I took that ministry over as a result of this meeting. And I, and I, and I went to, I, of course, the first time it was like, I'm just going to watch. You guys are in charge. Do your thing. It was all glistens and speaks that made it happen anyway. And, uh, but, but I, you know, I had a little bit of an MC function to say, you know, here, let's listen to Tim talk about, you know, what, what, it, what, what it means to be a part of the Otter Creek Church, et cetera, et cetera. But after my first meeting, I thought, I'm going to make a video that encapsulates who we are as a church. And that was it. Um, it was obviously funny. But, but uh, Otter Creek Church has become a, a, a big, big part of my life and a big, big part of my story. But it's not where I started. Um, probably almost no one in here remembers this version of me. Um, this is, is me at, uh, I'm, ju I'm just going to, what I'm going to do right now is roll through some pictures. I, I said almost no one in here remembers uh, because a few of you do. Uh, the Ewings remember me from when I was very, very young. And of course, Sue remembers me from, from when uh, Sue's husband Dee and I were best friends. Um, Dee was one of my best friends and he was my pole vault coach. Uh, this, is, this is Sue's late husband Dee. And, uh, and th this is him as well. I think this was my senior year. Perhaps I had just won a, 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 a pole vault competition and had been honored with Athlete of the Year or something. And we won the state tournament. Yes, yes. This was a we, that, that year we won state championship uh, in, in decathlon and pole vault. Pretty big deal. So I'm... I'm uh, <laughs> These are, this is my four years of college. A friend of mine just found these in the yearbook and was like, Why, what happened to you all those years? <laughs> Sometime I should take my driver's license pictures and put them in a collage. When I go to the DMV to get my driver's license, each time I get it renewed, I work so hard to take a picture that makes the lady smile or laugh. And, and I guess, so I'll get right up to the edge of frustrating her, you know, because they you're not supposed to look like an idiot in your picture on purpose. Uh, but I do, I kind of love to look ridiculous. Uh, so these are some, some old pictures from uh, college and beyond. This was actually the moment that I met Becky. I've shown that in a... Uh, in a sermon before, here is me pole vaulting in high school. This was this was my uh, modeling. This was from my modeling career, which did not go very far. Uh, in fact, I wish I, I I need to zoom out on this picture so you can see the whole thing. Uh, Elvis. This picture right here, and there it is. I don't know why I'm holding these flowers. What am I doing? I, 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 was a, I was a sophomore in high school at this point, and a guy named Kerry Daniel, one of the coolest and best-looking guys I'd ever seen, he was a model, he made good money at modeling, and he was like, you could be a model. Now, what I didn't know was every new recruit that a model could get to the modeling agency was worth money to the model, <laughs> whether they ever got work or not. So I paid for these pictures, and I never got any work at all. I mean, never. Y'all were thinking, he thought he was going to be a model? I, I don't know, but look at me. I'm taking it very seriously. This is, this is the Rubios and the Copelands at Fall Creek Falls. Uh, that's me in the middle. Um... 
Fall Creek Falls was like heaven for, for the Rubios uh, and Copeland's. Copeland's are cousins to the Ewing's. That's how we go back. Um, and and this, this was one of those families that is, they're more than friends. They're just more than friends. My mom and dad were best friends with Ronnie and Betty Copeland. Um from childhood and they and they and they raised their families together and for the first several years of my marriage to Becky I mean I'm six eight years in I remember having this conversation in Birmingham so we had been married at least six maybe seven or eight years and we were still having the conversation who are who's going to be our Copelands you know so I, I I think about you know the people at this church like Kevin and Ginger Colvett and Reed and Mary Collins and Troy and Katie Link who have raised kids with our kids and have been part of our lives. Um, my mom and dad had that and, and growing up watching Ron and Betty be my second mom and dad, I knew I wanted my daughters and my son to have that too. To have those people that love them you know, maybe like they don't deserve to be loved. Um, it, it, the amazing thing about our God is that when we say we don't deserve His love, it's not true. It's not true. Because He gets the right to tell us who deserves His love. He's the one who decides who deserves it. He decided we deserve it. So when we say we don't deserve it, what we really mean is we can't believe that, that, that to him we're worth it. But we are. We do deserve it. And so when Ronnie and Betty Copeland loved Greg and David and Seth Rubio like their own, they're loving like God. And that shapes a person. Um, the White Station Church of Christ was my home congregation. And the Copelands were members there, and the Haywoods were members there, and the Saunderses were members there, and the Cummings were members there, and the Pierces were members there for a while. And these are all families that did life together with the Rubios. Um, and, and some of them are still in Memphis and still at White Station, and others have moved on. But this community, the White Station Church of Christ, or actually the official name of the church was the Church of Christ at White Station, which became kind of confusing. If you know Memphis, there's a White Station Road, and there's a White Station School, but the school is not on the road, and there's a White Station Church, but it's not near the school. It's on a different road from the school, which is not on White Station Road. And I always thought, we have the strangest name of a congregation ever, but oh, what a sweet series of words. Church of Christ at White Station. Couldn't be sweeter. Because Church of Christ at White Station is where I learned how to love like God loves. It's where I learned what that looks like at least. It would be years before I would begin to model that for these families that I mentioned earlier or begin to try and embody that because I was too immature as a child to, to know how to do that. But I was learning it in a place a lot like Otter Creek. Um, White Station is where I... I, I, I am not exaggerating when I say every single Sunday morning. My main task as a child was to figure out at what point during the service 
I could get out of there and go to the restroom and stay gone as long as possible without somebody catching on to what's happening. I just, the sermons were just boring. I was ADHD. And so it was like, can I go yet? Can I go yet? Can I go? I'm going now. I can't take it any longer. I'm gone. And I would leave, and I would walk to the farthest bathroom in the church. It was one of those churches with different buildings. So it was a campus. And unlike Otter Creek, I would have to walk outside the, the sanctuary to, to walk under an awning over to an educational building where I would then go in and walk to the opposite end of the, the education building to the, to the men's restroom that was, that was an offshoot to the elders' boardroom. Okay, The elders had their little bathroom. I don't know what that was about. But it was kind of the dark wood-paneled room, and it had a little bathroom on it. I would go use that restroom. Nobody, nobody, nobody was over there. It was magical, amazing. I could walk as slowly as I wanted to. And I still, I've got to go to the bathroom. I mean, who's, who's going to catch me? Who's going to call me on that? Who's going to say, no, 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 go back, go back, sit in the sermon and pee in your pants? No one is going to say that. So every week I would do it. And one week, one week, I, 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 my, I didn't know this. What happened? I was wasting time. But on my way to that restroom, I, I came upon something I was not supposed to come upon, probably, but it changed me. And what I saw was Luther Welch, an old former elder. This is one of those guys who had been an elder for a long time at White Station and then had ceased to be an elder, had decided not to be an elder anymore, had grown to the point in his age where he, he couldn't be a shepherd anymore, and his wife needed him to care for her. She was in a wheelchair. And I came around the corner, and I'm about to go to the restroom, which is right here, which is hundreds of yards from where I'm supposed to be. I'd snuck out. And waste, I'm wasting time. I'm being an ADHD kid. And I, and I see Luther Welch helping his wife out of her wheelchair and into the tiny single-person lady's restroom that was on that same hallway. And I still, you know, thinking about that image of Luther Welch loving his wife. You know, I didn't know anything about that. I didn't have a mom that needed help from a dad to help her use the restroom. I was a kid that didn't know this happened in life. And, you know, my whole life was fun and games and friends and getting in trouble and trying to get out of trouble. And here I am confronted with the love of God in the person of Luther Welch. And there were Luther Welches all over that church, and there still are, which is why White Station is so, so precious to my heart. I'll never forget that image, and I and I and I never I never went to that bathroom again, you know, and and not because I didn't like what I saw or I, you know it was a shame, but I, I just knew he 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 was going to that restroom to be alone with his wife, to to help her through. A, a moment of public indignity, and and I just learned a little something about the love of God that day, and that typifies White Station, uh, White Station, a church that that loved me um, like God did. Here are a few more. These are these are this is Craig and Todd Copeland. 
let you see them. Oh, I mentioned some of those families earlier, the Haywoods and the Saunderses. Uh, they're all in this picture, uh, many of them. Um, this is one of my best friends. I was a cross-country runner and a track runner. I actually became a track runner in college as well. This was my first car, uh, Monte Carlo, the first car I purchased with my own money, $1,100 for a 77 Monte Carlo. And it was a sweet ride. Uh, this is, this is uh, the night that I proposed. Actually, this is the night that I asked Joe if I could propose to his daughter. That was this night. Uh, it's probably the most uh, nervous I've ever been in my life was, was asking Joe. Joe was a, a history professor in college and really is a very serious guy. Um, and I was very, very nervous. Joe and Shirley, I hit the in-law jackpot and feel so, so blessed uh, to, to be. This is, this is me and Becky. I flew to Italy with, without her knowledge. I surprised her. She was traveling abroad. And in the fall, I'm sorry, spring of 1994, I traveled to Italy, jumped out of the bushes, and surprised her. <laughs> she had no idea who it was. And I had saved up money. And what she didn't know, she found out two days later, I had brought an engagement ring with me. I proposed in Florence, Italy. And it's still one of the, you know, one of, one of the proudest moments of my life. And people are like, oh, man, what a, that was so romantic. And, and, and the truth is, I was thinking, she has got to say yes. She cannot, I've flown to Italy. I mean, I've been to Italy. She has to say yes to me right now. So this is us a couple of days later. Uh, on a boat ride to uh, Capri is what we call it. The Italians call it Capri. Um, this was our wedding day. And as you, you know, can see, Becky has not aged uh, very much over the years, which is amazing. Uh, this, is, this is, I've talked about my, my mom, Susan, dad, Ron, and this is my older brother, Greg, and my younger brother, Seth. Um, we're starting to get now into some Otter Creek Youth Group pictures. You'll see the links in this picture, uh, as well as a lot of uh, former OCYGers. This was from um, 2010 when we took a, it was January 2010, this was a mystery trip to Key West. So everyone that went on this trip uh, went on the trip having no idea where they were going. And it was a weekend trip, MLK weekend. We got, in the, we got in the bus, uh, Merritt Rowe had not started yet, Donna Rickman was my administrative assistant, and I had prepared sealed envelopes for Donna to hand to the parents after we drove off. We collected all their cell phones, so, so moms, moms and dads couldn't, couldn't call their kids to let them know where we were going. Um, we, uh, in, on this trip, we, we left at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday, and we got back at about 5 p.m. on Monday. And in the meantime, we drove to Key West, went snorkeling, and drove back. Um, and it was, these students would tell you, it is one of the worst three days of their lives. <laughs> but they love talking about how horrible it was. Um, I, got, I got down to, I, remember, I was on 840, and, and we were approaching the turnoff to I-65. And I said, I got on the loudspeaker for the bus, and I said, you guys want to, you guys want to, you know, turn right and go, you know, 65 down to Birmingham, y'all want to keep going? And they were like, keep going! <laughs> and, and, of course, I knew where we were going, so we, we 
kept going uh, over to 24, and then we headed south on 24. So we got to Chattanooga. I said, you guys want to stop here and have a weekend in Chattanooga, or you want to keep going? Keep going! So we kept going. We got to Atlanta. You guys want to stop Atlanta or keep going to Florida? Keep going! We get to the Disney World turnoff. And I said, you guys want to turn off here and go to Orlando, or you want to keep going? And they were all like, please stop now! Disney World! And I was like, keep going! We got, we got to Miami. We got to Miami. And I was like, y'all want to stop in Miami or you want to keep going? And they were like, shut up! So, this was the high point of the trip. Uh, the Lynx met us there. They actually were on their year-long trip around the country, and they have, they, uh, we took tents down. None of the students know we took tents. We camped at a KOA uh, in Key West on Saturday night. We woke up, went to the southernmost point in the continental U.S., and then headed off to go snorkeling. It just got worse from here. There was a storm. They, they almost didn't even take us out. I was like, if you don't take us snorkeling, I'm going to lose my job. You have got to take us snorkeling. So they did. And the boat, we got out there. Y'all, I kid you not, most of the people on this trip, I mean, a third of these people got in the water. Two-thirds never even left the boat. Half of these people vomited over the side. I watched it happen. I was sick as a dog. And I was like, I'm going to get in the water. Because you can't vomit while you're snorkeling. Wrong. Wrong. Has anybody here besides me vomited underwater? Am I the only person ever? I, I, I knew. I knew without a shadow of doubt that it was impossible to vomit underwater. So I went snorkeling. But I will never forget the sight of Pop-Tart as it wafted. I mean, a cloud of Pop-Tart underwater. And I, I got my goggles on. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me that I'm vomiting underwater on this trip. And I'm 42 hours from home. So literally, we got back. We did a four-hour boat trip, got back, got in the bus, and didn't stop driving. Uh, we spent the night in uh, Ocala, Florida. Didn't stop driving until we get home. These, these by the way, um, the, 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 what, I need, what I need to begin doing is to share uh, a, a few lessons learned. So, so one of the things that I have found in, in my story, and I've already talked about the power of God to show uh, love or, or to teach love, I remember in 2008 when Tim resigned, Tim Woodruff was the preacher of this church for many years, and, and one of the great gifts of my life was getting to work with Tim and getting to spend an hour every week with Tim. I could not respect him more, um, just learned so much from him about fatherhood and so much from him about preaching, and Tim never wasted a word. Uh, just his gifts and mine are very different, and that was uh, that was something I was able to learn from. And so, when he resigned, 
it, it meant a lot to me that, that certain members of this congregation said to me, you should become a preacher. You should become a preacher. And, and of course, many of you know, I, I did. I was hired to join Josh as a co-preacher of this congregation in 2009. And, and I, would love to, I would love to tell you all about everything that went into that decision and then the decision to, to reverse. But what stands out to me was a conversation that I had with Pat Ward and I had with Janet Crothers, the two of them, uh, Wonderful. Janet was a co a, a minister with me, a children's minister, and Pat obviously directed our preschool and was one of those eldresses in my life. And I remember saying, I don't, can, I'm not a serious guy. I'm not, I'm not like Tim. I'm not like most preachers. I don't, I don't think I can be a preacher. Um, and I remember in their own way, both of them saying, but you can be yourself. And, and you, are, you are someone this church loves. And you are someone that is a good fit for this church. And I, and I learned something from that about my story. There's a, there's a quote by Ashley Brilliant. And I love Ashley Brilliant. If you've ever heard of Pot Shots or if you remember his Pot Shots, Ashley Brilliant is such a great aphorist. And he said, um, uh, he, he said, if you want to know who you are, or if you're trying to discover who you are, first learn who everybody else is, and you're what's left. Uh, a, 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 similar, a similar aphorism is by a guy named Oscar Wilde who said, be yourself, everybody else is taken. And I love that. I really love that because I was a terror for my parents. You know, my mom for a while after I left home began to lead support a support group for moms of sons who make them want to pull their hair out. Uh, sons they're afraid might end up in prison. I've always said D. Bonner kept me out of prison for sure by endangering my life with the pole vault. Um, I... I it, I, I was a problem, really, truly, for everyone in my life, but no one treated me that way. And, I, and, and so I learned, I was able to learn to be myself. You know, what Mr. Rogers would always say is there's no one else in the world just like you, and people can like you just the way you are. And I learned that. And so when I became a youth minister, that became the, the driving force. That became, you know, I, we've got a mission statement and, and we've always had these, you know, spiritual goals for our <laughs> students. But if you boil it all down, one of the easiest things that when, when, I, when I try to help somebody understand what it is I do in my ministry, I say, one of the things that is easiest for you to understand about my job is I'm trying to help young people like themselves for the right reasons. That's what White Station did for me. It's, it's what my, those families that I was in community with did for me. And it is what this church has done for me. Um, I, you know, uh, when you introduced me, you said, you know, one of the, of all the gifts, you, you just, you, you, you said some beautiful words that were very meaningful to me. And I heard them and with my eyes closed. Once again, I just shook my head at the, at the joy that comes from being in a community that celebrates a person. 
Because we all have things that are not worth celebrating. And you all, you don't know all the things about me that aren't worth celebrating. Uh, a few of you do. My wife does. Know the things about me that are not worth celebrating. <laughs> and she could tell you, she wouldn't. That's one of the amazing things about my wife. And that's one of the amazing things about marriage. You, you, you find that if you honor your spouse, it, it really builds a marriage up. And so... What I can tell you is that beginning in my childhood and continuing on into my ministry and even into my ministry at Otter Creek was a struggle with sexual sin that I'll call lust issues. I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to say an addiction to lust, but that gives you a sense of what I dealt with on the inside where no one could see. And... So when you're dealing with something hidden that begins early on, and you're and, and, and at, at a confusing time, so as a teenager and I'm becoming a, a, a sexual being, you know, as a child you're unaware of this, and then as a teen you begin to develop this, and then that never ends. You know, you continue to be a, a, a sexual being through your life, um, and. And you're either on your own to manage it or you, or you take the chance of inviting someone in to, to help you walk through it. My family and my extended church family prepared me to invite people into my life. And this occurred in, in Memphis with my youth ministry buddies. It occurred with my men's groups that I would meet with, it extended to my wife and my, my parents who I invited in, even leaders of this congregation. In, in my early days here at Otter Creek, I reached out to people at this congregation that I trusted and loved who were older than me, and I said, can I get your help dealing with the situation, trying to figure out how to be a, a healthy person with a hidden part of me that no one knows about and maybe no one's ever going to find out about until, heaven forbid, something really goes wrong and then and that is not the life I want. That, that it's the, the fallout from that with my job and the fallout from that with my marriage is, is not what I want or for my family or for myself. Um, what, a, what a gift. You know, my story is not complete without the recognition that I have brokenness, that I'm not who I want to be, and without the honesty to say to it, people who had teens in my youth group. I remember one of the first people I shared this with was a mentor named Dave Bland, who was a grad school professor of mine and a deacon at my church. And it's like, you know, as a minister, you're wrestling with, shouldn't I be better than this? Doesn't, you know, maybe a lust, maybe issues with lust that I can't control disqualifies me from ministry. And, and, and maybe it should have, but in Dave's mind, whose, whose children were in my youth group, it didn't. And, he, and so he, he treasured and valued my struggle 
and he was the first of many. Uh, continuing on, and like I said, in this church there are, there are a handful of people who have helped me sort of live into a life that the young me might have imagined impossible. A kind of freedom from sexual sin that I would have assumed I just could never have. Um, that's a part of my story, and it's a big part of my story, and I, and I love to share it. I don't often share it with teenagers. This, this, isn't the, this doesn't come up a lot, but every now and then it does because my struggles with that started when I was a teenager. And I know we've got students who's, who have those and other struggles too that they're not sure who they can trust with. And so I, I want to be someone they, they can trust that with. And I, and I want to rally around our ministry volunteers and leaders and equip parents to be the kind of people as well who can do the same. Um, I, I want to, I only have a few more minutes left. And so what I want to um, close with is my sabbatical. Um, you know, Jamin Martin asked me when I was hired. I, I love I love Jamin Martin. Jamin Martin is a treasure, and I'm not sure if you know him. He's been our camp director for many years. He was the youth minister at this congregation from '92 to '98, and he has become one of my dearest friends. And we are partners in ministry. And of course, he's a shepherd now of this congregation. Um, when I was first hired. And prior to taking the job, I came up early January to have a dinner with the volunteers who worked with the youth group in 2003. And those were difficult years. The youth group, in, from 03 to 06, 07, those years, our youth group had to learn how to love each other well. They did not know how to love each other well. And our, our volunteers knew that there had been a rapid succession, you know, changeover of the youth ministry staff from, from 98 to 2003 that had taken its toll on the students and the and the energy of the group um, I remember Jamin asking me why did we hire you and I said I don't know <laughs> he said no really why and I said well there's a there's a two really good answers to that question and the first one is there are some mentors who think a lot of me and your committee probably called them they, they think a lot of me you know and that's probably why my name ended up on your list. And, you know, that's one answer. If you'd call different mentors, I wouldn't be here. But, it, but you probably, you know, your committee probably talked to Steve Davidson, probably talked to Dudley Chancey, probably talked to Robert Oglesby. And these are guys who've watched me minister and feel, feel like they have some confidence that I'm a good fit for this congregation. They know me well, and, and perhaps they know you too. And then I said, but the, but the real reason is, is White Station Church and Ron and Susan Rubio and, and, you know, this, this beautiful community that I was raised in uh, that made me who I am. So, so to the extent that I've been able to have a career so far, at that point I had I'd been in ministry about eight years, to the extent that that eight-year career had been successful and had the kind of success that guys like Steve and, and Robert and Dudley would say, go talk to David Rubio about your job, it is mostly because of the environment that I grew up in. Without question. Um, 
in 2017, skipping, 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 this church encouraged me to take a sabbatical. And I didn't think I needed one. And I, uh, I remember saying to Mike Runcie, who uh, was my executive minister at the time and, and a treasured friend and mentor, um, I said, Mike, I, I love my job. I, I, I've, I've always loved my job. I just love youth ministry. And I don't, I'm good. I'm fine. I don't need a sabbatical. He said, well, we've got a sabbatical policy. Maybe you'll discover some things about yourself that you didn't know. Or maybe you'll find that it was a good thing. So we're going to do it. And I came together with a plan. And, my, and <laughs> like an idiot, I chose uh, a, a sabbatical plan that was, that was really going to challenge me. And my plan was to spend a month listening <laughs> the thing the thing I am the worst at I've often said the only thing I like more than talking is watching other people listen to me talk because <laughs> I'm a visual I'm a visual guy uh, but I just listening is not it's just not what I do well and so I thought well so this will be good this will really challenge me what I did not know you know I forgot I forgot that God is real you know you just be, you're, a, you're in ministry and we're at church. We all know God's real, but sometimes we forget and we get to walking through our lives like what's real is Chick-fil-A nuggets, right? Because they're so good. Or what's real is the game on Sunday. And we forget that what's real is that God made this and made me and he's here. And so when I, I was like, I'm going to listen to God. I'm going to start a prayer journal and I'm going to start a journal journal. And I'm going to find mentors and I'm going to travel here and sit with a person for a whole day and listen. And I'm going to, you know, take walks every day and I'm going to turn off my phone, put it in a drawer. I'm not going to have a phone the whole month. I'm going to turn off my computer. I'm not going to look at an email. I'm not going to watch a television screen for an entire month. And, and for that entire month, I listened and more than anything else, I heard two things and these would... These would begin to shape the rest of my life. They, they've shaped the last four years since 2017. Four and a half, it'll be five years in, in uh, March. And I'm convinced they will continue to shape. And those two things are, you are not as good a husband and father as you think you are. Because let's face it, I thought I was an awesome dad and an awesome father and an awesome everything else too. That's kind of the way, you know, that, that's the flip side of all the beautiful things I learned from White Station and Harding Academy and Ron and Susan Rubio and the Copelands is, you know, yes, I knew I was loved, but maybe too much. And so, you know, God just whispered to me all month long, you're not quite the dad you think you are. But you've got some room to improve as a father. That wasn't fun to hear. But, but I was able to hear it on that sabbatical for the first time in my life. And I'm certain that Becky had tried to whisper that in my ear a few times over the years uh, in loving, loving ways. I mean, I don't think Becky would ever say, you know, you're not the dad you think you are. She's just too nice for that, as you all know. But my wife is, is amazing and she knows me well and, I'm, and I look back on moments and I think, I bet you Becky was trying to help me see that there's a way to listen to my kids that I'm not listening to them. And, and so God got this through to me and it was, it was, it was hard to hear and it, it was heavy, but the, but, it was, but the second thing God told me that month or the second thing that I heard uh, 
And, and this was really the biggest message was, you are enough because I am enough. I, God, have made you enough. You're enough. I don't need you to be more. And so to, to hear those two things, you know, so when you hear you're not quite the father that you think you are, and you're not quite the husband you think you are, then the temptation might be to think, uh, what's my problem? But you can't say what's my problem. I'm horrible and hate yourself if God is saying, you're enough. You know? That's what God's been doing my whole life is saying, mostly through people, um, you're enough and I love you. So, so, some things in our home, you know, began to change and I think for the better as, as those messages started to take root and manifest themselves at home. Uh, we're getting very close now to, to time for church and I, I wish there are, there are so many stories that highlight each of these aspects. Um, when people ask me now what they could be praying about, and, and I'll close with this because you're part of my family and, and this is my story. Um, in a year and a half, my, my youngest daughter will graduate from high school. Most youth ministers don't make it in church until they have kids. And then, and then when most youth ministers make it until they have kids, they don't make it past that. And then most youth ministers that make it past having kids, they don't make it past their kids joining the youth group. And, and so we're entering, you know, kind of a phase where Becky and I will be moving from, you know, a decade of having our own kids in the youth group to in a, a year and a half now, our, our kids will be gone. And so I would... Be honored if your prayers for us would be help, help David, God, see, see what's next. And what's next may be more youth ministry. Um, and that's probably, you know, that, that sure would be sweet. And I sure would love that. Um, you know, can I still keep making Lip Dove videos and driving on a weekend to, to, to you know, Key West? Uh, on beyond my 50s, I turned 50 in February. I don't know. But what I do know is I will, I will continue to try to be myself in all of it. Uh, and I will close with this quote um, also from Ashley Brilliant. And this has become one of my favorite quotes for parenting and it, it's also sort of a personal theme of mine. I think it would, it would be a, you know, it would resonate with anyone in here who is a seven on the Enneagram. Uh, but Ashley Brilliant said, if you can't learn to do it well, learn to enjoy doing it badly. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I just love that. I, there's so many things about life that I don't know and I'm not going to be good at. And, and perhaps you've learned that too. Um, I, I, I just thank you so much for the invitation. I have a lot more I could share, but it's time to go. So I'll say a prayer and then... We can't go until I tell one story. Do it. Okay. When David graduated from college and uh, was deciding what to do, uh, and he was hired as youth minister, and of course, as he said, my husband and he were best friends, and uh, he, 
he got he went over to tell D what it, that he'd gotten hired as youth minister. He said, Coach, you'll never believe this. I get to eat pizza and watch movies and stay up all night. They may pay me for it. <laughs> summarized why I went back to youth ministry from preaching. I, I know, I, I'll tell you this. I, I, this, this, is, this is actually a great way to end. In 2010, when I was, I was doing two jobs at the time, we were about to fly in the three finalists for the, the replacement youth minister for my job, and I was, I was going to finalize my transition into preaching. But I was struggling. I had, it, it, the, the transition had not been easy. I had, a, I had an adult, and well, I, I won't tell that story. I'll just say it had been difficult. It was a sweet year of youth ministry, and there weren't a lot of moments to point to to say preaching's going to be awesome. And I remember sitting with my wife. We were at the old building. We sat down in the old sanctuary. And I said, Becky, am I making a horrible mistake? And we sat, and we prayed. And then Becky asked a question that, for me, just, it was the light bulb moment. And, and I went out to the car and I called Wayne Tomlinson and I said, I, I can't do it anymore. I've got, I need to keep my old job. Becky asked me the question. She said, in all these years, at this point I'd been in youth ministry about 14 years. She said, or 15. She said, in all these years, have you ever been in a youth ministry class on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night and wished you were in a class with adults. <laughs> and I was like, never. <laughs> Not one single time. And, and the reason that is fitting in this context is this is literally the first Sunday morning. This is, this is my favorite non-youth group Sunday morning of my life. That, but this is where I'd rather be if it's not there. You know, teen, I'd always rather be with teens, but you people would be just next place. Seriously, it's just been a joy to be with you. Um, and I love you, and I pray for you, and I bless you, and... I thank you for loving me and for loving my family and for making us feel like not just that we belong here, but that we fit and we are valued in the name of Jesus. So we'll pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity this morning to tell a little bit of my story and to highlight a few of the, the things that, that I believe have, uh, have shaped my life by your hand on earth and we, uh, we thank you for this church and the opportunity that we have to, to accomplish your mission on earth, to love people well and, and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So my prayer is that you will continue uh, your work here in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we give you this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.